Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. As we're reading this on Mount Sinai with the Lord and uh, the Lord God has been giving Moses instructions uh, so like for example the instructions that we're going to see today we'll read about them later on when they actually do them but right now he's receiving the instructions uh, a couple weeks ago he received the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle and uh, uh, very intricate lots of dimensions and materials and and uh, if you just kind of read through it or maybe you kind of you get to that point if you read through it so you go man this is I'm just going to skip over this there as we discovered there's so much that applies to us as believers it points to Jesus Christ and so he received the instructions for the tabernacle last week we talked about the priests clothing and the significance the colors the the materials and and all that they're so significant they point to of course our high priest Jesus Christ and then of course the church there's there's applications for for us in there as well and this week we're looking at the instructions for consecrating Aaron uh, as high priest and his sons. He has four sons that will serve as priests in the tabernacle along with him. And uh, of course, when Aaron passes on, his sons will, uh, will continue the high priestly ministry. You know, in uh, Peter's letter, 1 Peter 2.9, we're told that you and I are a royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation. And, uh, you know, as believers, we're called into ministry too. You might say, well, wait, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, you know, a missionary. Well, I guess no, but we're all called to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. In whatever capacity we find ourselves in in our lives, we're to minister to him. And, and so as we look at this this morning, how his sons were consecrated for ministry in the tabernacle, it's also a picture, and I think there's lessons that we can gather for how you and I are consecrated uh, for uh, ministry in the life of, or in the body of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we'll be looking at that this morning. So beginning with verse 1 of Exodus chapter 29. And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. I don't know if they were gluten-free there at that time, but we'll, we'll go on from there. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments... Put the tunic on Arab, uh, excuse me, on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So there's a few steps involved here in this consecration of Aaron and his sons in these first nine verses. And the first, very first step, Moses was to bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle. And I do think that there's some symbolism there. There's some, uh, 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 it points to something. You know, some, someone at some point, for each one of us that have a relationship with the Lord, someone somewhere, somehow, 
brought you and I to the door. What door are we speaking of? The door of Jesus Christ, right? In uh, John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The very first step in a relationship with Jesus Christ is, is to be brought to him. And, you know, that's something that you and I can do as believers uh, is that's kind of why we're here is to share the love of Christ with people, to introduce people to Jesus. And, and uh, you know, maybe you're not the one that actually leads them to the Lord. It's a blessing. If you've ever been able to do that, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to lead someone in prayer to receive Christ as their Savior. But maybe you're just one that's planting seeds. You know, it, it, there's some that plant, there's some that water, and there's some that reap. And so you and I as believers, we all fit into there somewhere. And so that's one of our ministries is to bring people to the door to Jesus Christ. So that was the very first step. Moses was to bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle. Now the next step, think about this. Um, they're outside, right? The tabernacle's in the wilderness. It's in a courtyard, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so here's these men, and uh, they are to some extent, and possibly to completely disrobed right there in the open in front of the tabernacle. And uh, just think about that, the humility. Now, if you're an exhibitionist, maybe it's not a big deal, but think of the, the, just the, uh, the fact that it'd be, it'd be humili humiliating. You know, you feel vulnerable. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to share this, but I guess I will. I, I like to make fun of myself sometimes. I'm not a very detail-oriented person. My wife can testify to that. And uh, a number of years ago, I had to do a sleep study at uh, Olmstead uh, Medical Clinic. And so they sent me this packet. And uh, as typical with packets that I receive in the mail, I kind of just shove it down there and I'll, I'll look at it someday. And uh, I didn't look at it. And then the time came to go for my, uh, my appointment. And so I uh, drove down to the clinic and I'm, I'm like, I'm here. And they said, well, did you bring your packet? I'm like, oh no. And they go, well, that's okay. You can fill it out. We'll give you another one. You can fill it out. And I'm like, okay. So I'm filling out the stuff. And then, and then she's starting to put stuff on my, you know, the little glue and the, or the, it's like putty or something. And then the little probes and everything. And then, and then she goes, um, well, you can go ahead and slip into your PJs now. And I went, oh, shoot. <laughs> I mean, I just came there. I mean, I just came like this, you know, I'm like, uh, I didn't bring pajamas. She goes, that's okay. That's okay, but you do have to take, you have to just disrobe down to your underwear. I'm like, great, you know, so I'm standing there and then she's still putting tabs on me and then she goes, okay, you can go crawl into the bed. And I said, I usually go to the bathroom before. She said, that, no problem, there's a bathroom down the hall, just, you, you just, just go down there. So here I am in my whitey tighties walking with these probes and stuff. You know, I felt so humiliated and, and it was my own fault, of course. But uh, you know, that's the feeling. I can imagine that feeling of vulnerability and humility. And, uh, and so then, uh, you know, here Moses at that point washes them with water. And they couldn't wash themselves. Moses had to do it. You know, the same is true for you and I when we enter into our saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to come to him in humility, completely you know, our, our sins exposed. We don't cover it. We don't try to make excuses for it. We come to him naked and open, right? And we just say, Lord, I, here I am. I'm a sinner and I'm a terrible person and whatever, you know? And, and, and then he washes us clean when we come to him in, in humility and openness. So now they're washed 
this time actually they're going to be completely washed all over. But as we get to chapter 30 and, fur and further on in, in, uh, in Exodus and then of course in Leviticus later on, when the priests would go, they would just wash their hands and their feet. They didn't do this whole washing uh, all the time. And the same is true uh, for you and I. Uh, you know, it's interesting. There's a story in, uh, it's not a story that happened, but in John chapter 13, we're told that uh, the night before Jesus was crucified, he went and he took off his, his clothes, put on, wrapped himself in a towel, girded himself in a towel, and he started washing the disciples' feet. And when he got to Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? And, uh, of course, he didn't feel very worthy. And, and, and Jesus said to him, what I'm doing, uh, you don't understand now, but you'll understand later. And uh, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Kind of that false humility sometimes, you know, that we have. And uh, Jesus said to him, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. And so Peter said, well, in that case, don't just wash my feet. Wash my head, my hands. I mean, just wash me, you know, completely. And uh, Jesus said this. He said he was bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And of course, he was the one that wasn't clean. He was speaking of Judas Iscariot. But here's the thing. Like Aaron and his sons, when you and I enter, enter, enter into a born-again relationship, relationship with Jesus Christ, right? we confess our sins. He forgives us and washes us clean. But that doesn't mean that we never sin again. I've got news for you. I'm a, I'm a born-again pastor. Well, I'm a born-again Christian, but I'm a pastor. And I still sin. We all do. And so like Aaron and his sons, they were washed completely once, once but then after that, they just wash their hands and their feet from then on. And for you and I as Christians, you know, we're not born again, again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. You're born again once. But then we need to come to the Lord and, and regularly commit or uh, confess those sins that we commit. And it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's, 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 that's that pictured in there, going just washing their hands and their feet. They're completely, they're, they've been clean. You know, they're, they're born again or we're born again. You know, we're righteous in God's eyes, but there's still that that cleansing that we have to do when we confess our sins on a regular basis as we go through our life because we're in the flesh. So then after the after they were all washed, they were to put on the garments of the priesthood. And we talked about the significance of that uh, last week. But I think one thing that's interesting that I think comes out in, in this chapter is that the garments were provided for them. Okay, they didn't have to uh, bring their own like I was supposed to go to the sleep study with my own pajamas, you know, and I, I would thought they were going to give me something. They're like, no, just, you know, whatever. They didn't have to bring their own clothing. They didn't have to make their own clothing. They didn't have to toil and labor, or labor over them. They were simply provided the clothing. And for you and I as believers, we've been given clothing to wear also, right? We're clothed with righteousness. Psalm 132, verse 9. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. We've been clothed with Christ's righteousness. It's been given to us. We're also clothed with salvation. Psalm 132, verse 16. I will also clothe our priests with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. So that clothing that was given to him, it's a picture of what you and I are given. So next they were anointed with anointing oil, and that's symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
And then finally it says that their priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. See, the Levitical priesthood was inherited through Aaron. Aaron was the very first high priest. When he died, his sons would take over the high priest office. And uh, only those that were born from him ministered as high priest. Now, the Levites, because he's from the tribe of Levi, they were involved in temple ministry. And we'll get to, I love that chapter when we get to it, all the different roles that the Levites had. But there was only one family that was the high priest, and that was the descendants of Aaron. You had to be born into that family to be a high priest. And for you and I, you have to be born again to be in that royal priesthood that you and I are in. Right? You have to be born again. So what follows now in the rest of chapter 29 are instructions for three different types of offerings. And they're also uh, a part of, I believe, of our consecration as we look at that. So the very first one we're going to look at here is the sin offering. Look at verse 10. You shall, have the bowl, uh, you shall also have the bowl brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the bowl. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, uh, offal you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. And I don't know about you, if you, you're reading through the Old Testament, but there's so many sacrifices, right, that are, that are required of the children of Israel. And all these sacrifices of innocent animals, what, what's the deal with that? Why all the blood? Because you go through the Old Testament, there's blood, it just, it's always talking about blood. Why all that? And I think because God is trying to teach his, his people a very valuable lesson, and that is that the price for sin is very costly. He's trying to instill that in them. The Bible tells us in Romans, the wages of sin is death. See, the guilty person has to die. And yet through this animal that's being sacrificed, God is allowing a substitute, an innocent substitute, to die in the place of the guilty. He's instilling in them, uh, preparing them for the coming of the Messiah. Why were Aaron and his sons to put their hands on the head of the bull before the bull was killed? Well, what they're symbolically doing is they're transferring their sins onto the bull that would be killed in their place. You know, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 6, regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sins were transferred onto Jesus Christ who took our sins and died. the innocent died in place of the guilty, in place of my place, in my place because I'm guilty. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I want you to picture this. And we talked about it in depth last week, but the high priest's clothing... So the high priest, first he's got this pure white linen tunic. Then he's got this dazzling blue robe with golden bells and pomegranates hanging around the hem at the bottom. He's got that multicolored ephod 
with the beautiful gemstones, all, each unique gemstone uh, mounted in gold settings on the, on, on the breastplate of judgment across his chest. He's got that multicolored sash around his waist. He's got a pure white linen turban on his head with that big gold, uh, pure gold meter that says uh, holiness to the Lord. He's got the onyx stones mounted on gold settings on each shoulder. He's got chains. All of that was significant. And if you're interested, we got the teaching on the, on the website. You can go back to last week's teaching. But think about that. All that beautiful clothing. It's, you know, the glory, the splendor. And now they have to deal with blood. It doesn't give them coveralls to put on. They're wearing that beautiful clothing, and now they're dealing with all this blood. They take the, the blood, and some of it, they, put the fing they take their fingers in it and put some of it on the, on the tips of the horn of the altar. The rest is poured into a basin at the base of the altar. Later on, their, actually, their clothing will be sprinkled with blood. We'll see that later on. Why? why? It takes, it's so beautiful. Now it's got blood all over it. You see, unlike the other offerings... The sin offering, you know, if you look at some of the other offerings, in fact, we'll even see it uh, later on here in chapter 29, it says that it's a sweet savor to the Lord. You know, the burnt offering, for example, the peace offering. It's a sweet savor to the Lord. It doesn't say that about the sin offering. Why? Because the sin offering is de it's a deplorable necessity. That blood has to be shed. There's nothing beautiful about that. You see, you can have a church... With all the beautiful trappings, you know, everything looks nice and people are, you know, people are dressed up good. Everything looks beautiful. And you can have programs to meet every, every emotional need and everything's dazzling and pleasant. And, you know, we just talk nice things and make you feel good before you go home. But if you have all that glory and all that beauty and all that splendor, but you don't mention the blood of Jesus Christ, you know what you have? You have dead religion. It looks nice, but it doesn't do anything for the soul. The blood is necessary. And I appreciate what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 1, 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. It's nothing pretty about it, but it's necessary, the blood of Christ. Next, the least desirable parts of the bowl were to be taken and burned outside the camp. And when you read about something being taken outside the camp, you can read it throughout the Old Testament. Lepers had to go outside the camp. It was, they were isolated. They, they had to be away from people. There's a, there's a shame. There's, a, there's a, a separation and an isolation that occurs. It, it's like you're, you're, you're kind of being shunned in a, in a sense. And so this, the awful, the, 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 uh, the parts of the animal that they didn't want to keep, they, they, that would go out and be burned outside the camp. And we're told in Hebrews that Jesus took our shame our reproach, and he was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. In fact, it says there, Hebrews 13, verse 10, says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. That's The writer of Hebrews is referring to what we just studied right now. But it continues on here. It says, Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. I don't know if you're proud of your sin. I'm not proud of my sin at all. It's, there's that shame and that guilt 
that you, we experience when, when, we're, when we're confronted with our sin. And, and not, we're not only forgiven of our sin, but that shame is taken away. The guilt is taken away from us. And Jesus took it all on him. He took our shame. He took our reproach. And he was isolated and crucified outside of Jerusalem. So that's the sin offering. The next offering we look at here, starting in verse 15, is the burnt offering. It says, you shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this burnt offering, it was totally, completely consumed by fire on the altar. And what it's a picture of is complete devotion and dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing's held back from that animal. They're, they're everything, the entire, every bit of that animal is burnt and consumed on the fire. You know, when you look at Christians sometimes, and, uh, you know, I know we're not to judge people's hearts and their motives, but sometimes you look at their fruit in their lives, right? And uh, it would seem by looking at the fruit of some people that claim to be Christians that uh, it seems like, man, they just, they just want their fire insurance policy, right? You know, they want to present it, the certificate of, hey, I'm born again when they die so that they don't go to hell. Right? That some people are like that. That's all they care about. The rest of their lives, so they just want to live their lives as they please. They don't want to follow what the Bible says. They don't want to submit to the Lord. They just want to do it, but they want that fire insurance. There's some Christians that are like that. There's other believers that are much more serious about their commitment to Christ, but there's still some aspect in their life that they are not willing to fully surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ without reservation. You see, that's what the burnt offering is. It's just, it's not holding back anything. Completely devoured, completely consumed on the altar. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, we're told this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a very important picture for us as believers in that burnt offering. Finally, we get to the third one, which is the peace offering. And unlike the burnt offering that was totally consumed on the altar before the Lord, um, some parts of the peace offering was consumed and offered to the Lord. Other parts of the peace offering was partaken by the person making the sacrifice. There was a sharing of the, of the uh, sacrifice between the Lord and the person offering it. Look at verse 19. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. So the blood here, it's not only, you know, going on the horns of the altar and poured around the basin, but it's also applied to the priests themselves. 
What was the Lord trying to show? Every aspect of their life was to be affected by the blood sacrifice. There's an application for us. The blood on the tip of the right ear. And I think about this, you know, have you ever listened to something you shouldn't have listened to? Well, guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you, forgives you. You're forgiven of that. But I'm not just talking about, you know, some people say, well, I can't listen to any kind of secular music. I got to just listen to Christian music. I, you know, my ears can't hear that. And that's, that makes it really simple. That's not exactly what I think the Lord is trying to point about. But are you listening to gossip? Are you listening to the lies of the enemy? Are you listening to worldly advice instead of godly advice? Those kind of things. If you are from here on out, apply the blood of the cross to what you hear. Apply the blood of the cross to what you listen to. How about the tip of the right thumb? You know, the, the ear is what you listen to. The thumb, it, it's, it's, it's speaking about what you do with your hands. Have you done something you shouldn't have done? I know I have. Hey, I'm forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives me even of those things that I've done. And from now on, I should buy, apply the blood of Christ to all that I do. Some of you might say, well, I, you know, maybe this is an area where people don't want to sum, submit to the Lord because it's like, well, if I completely devote myself to the Lord, is he going to send me as a missionary to outer Mongolia or something like that? You know, I'm going to go way out and be a missionary to Syria or Iraq or somewhere where there's all this fighting going on. He may, but he may not. But listen, apply the blood of the cross to all that you do. And Colossians 3.17, I think, speaks to this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Apply the blood of the cross to everything that you do. How about the tip of the right toe? Listen, have you followed the wrong path in your life? Maybe you've been going down the wrong road for a long time. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives you of that. From now on, apply the blood of the cross to the path of your feet. Go where the Lord would have you go. Well, let's move on here. Verse 21. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And you also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you should put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons." And you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion." So what's happening here? Aaron's given a portion of the, of, the, uh, of the ram with the unleavened bread and the wafers, and he waves them before the Lord, and then it's offered back to the Lord and, uh, and burnt on the altar. Again, what is that signifying? This is what I think it's signifying. Even what we offer to the Lord, it comes from him in the first place. 
God is the Lord of the earth. Everything that we have, you know, some people really as Christians, they struggle with financially, you know, supporting uh, or giving money back to the Lord. They struggle with that. It's, 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 it's a real sacrifice for them. And uh, maybe it seems like you're, you know, doing God a favor by uh, giving back to him of your hard-earned money, right? Your hard-earned money. But listen, think about it. Who gave you the job? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the skills to do the job? Who gave you the brain to do the skills to do the job? Who gives you the health and the strength to perform your job? It all comes from him. And so we're just giving back what he's given to us. It all comes from him in the first place. And I think that's the concept of the wave offering. It's an acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from him. So, so he receives it, he offers it to the Lord, and he puts it back down on the, on, the, on the altar. And it's consumed. The breast of the ram that was, all, that was offered is also weighed before the Lord. And then that's given to Aaron to partake of. He actually partakes of that. It's not, that's not burned on the altar. It signifies the communion and the fellowship that you and I have with God through Christ Jesus. Listen, I don't know about you, but I have to eat pretty much every day. And I make sure I get a good three meals in a day, typically, unless I'm fasting, which I don't do that, you know, all the time, but once in a while. But I make sure I, I eat because, uh, you know, I get, uh, well, I get grumpy if I don't eat, for one thing. I get shaky if I don't eat. And, and, uh, and I'm afraid I'm going to die. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not that bad. But, no, but I eat, right? I eat every day to support myself, to be, to be strong, to be healthy, to have the strength to do what I need to do uh, physically during the day. You know, it's no different in our spiritual life. We need to spiritually eat we need to be in fellowship with the lord and 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 commune with the lord on a regular basis because that's what keeps us strong and allows us to do the things that we're to do for the lord so continuing on your verse 27 and from the ram of the consecration you so you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and that for which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from, uh, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is their heave offering to the Lord. So the heave offering and the wave offering, they're very similar in a similar vein, the heave offering is lifted up to the Lord and then it's partaken of by the offerer, by the offerer, the person doing the sacrificing. Now, we don't really know what the movement is of the wave offering. It's not like do the wave, you know, they're not all doing the wave like you do in stadiums and stuff. We don't know, but we're assuming, most scholars assume that it was just a, it was a horizontal waving of the sacrifice before the Lord. The he, and, and again, that's signifying that God is the Lord of the earth and that all our earthly blessings come from him. The heave offering, most people believe, it was just a vertical. So you have this side to side and then you have this vertical uh, raising of the, of the offering. And it's acknowledging that God is the Lord of heaven because he's not only the God of all the earth, but he's also the God of heaven. You know, all our earthly blessings come from the Lord God, but also all our spiritual blessings come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love that in James. So this aspect of the peace offering, I think, is really to install an attitude of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for all the blessings that come down to me. 
Verse 29, and the holy garments of Aaron and his sons shall be after him, and his sons after him, excuse me, let me start over. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them, in them that the son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days. And when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister to, in the holy place, and you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings of, or of the bread remains until the morning, you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So the Levitical priesthood, as I mentioned earlier, it descended from Aaron to his sons after him. And each successive generation of priests would go through the same consecration process. This consecration process we read here, it would last seven days. And every single one of those seven days, another bull would be sacrificed as a sin offering for the atonement of the high priest. So, see, these sacrifices, they're for the priest to cleanse the priest before he goes in and offers the sacrifices for the people. All these sacrifices, again, that needed to take place. What is God instilling in the children of Israel through this? I think there's two things. First of all, the awareness that the Levitical priesthood was temporary. It only lasted the life of that priest. Once that high priest died, his next son, the next in line uh, that was born to him, he would take on the mantle, so to speak, of being the high priest. And so this is an awareness that it, this, this priesthood, this Levitical priesthood, it's temporary. It always, it, death always prevents it. There'd be a, a constant need for a replacement of priests. Second thing is that the awareness that the sacrifices of the Leviticus priesthood was imperfect. Because it's not like you just offer one sacrifice and you're good to go. There was constantly offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. The fact that it had to be repeated signified that the blood of bulls and rams was not sufficient to fully remove sin. It just covered over. It placated. It didn't cover, cover over the sins committed. And what the Lord is, is showing the children of Israel and, and showing us through this, and it's described so well in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is the perfect high priest. And his priesthood, he offered himself as an act sacrifice for sin, and his priesthood continues forever. The Bible says he is in heaven right now, interceding on our behalf before the Father. He's a continual, perpetual priesthood. Not only that, but his sacrifice not only pro provides the forgiveness of our sin, but it completely removes our sin, like I mentioned earlier. It makes us justified before God the Father. What does justified mean? You could really break it down and say, just as if I never sinned. 
completely removed from us. The blood of bulls and, bulls and goats couldn't do that. That's why they had to continually offer those sacrifices. But the blood of Jesus Christ, he was sacrificed once and never to be sacrificed again. Once the process of this consecration for, was completed for the priest, then they would have to also continually offer these sacrifices. Look at verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Every day. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning, for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory." So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So for the even once they were consecrated, the priests, each morning... They would sacrifice a lamb every day. And then each evening at twilight, they would sacrifice another lamb. And again, I think it's meant to teach an important principle for God's people and for you and I this morning. And I think that's the importance of spending time daily at the altar with the Lord, both morning and night. What do we offer to the Lord? We offer a sacrifice of praise and prayer and thanksgiving. That's what we're to offer to the Lord. You start out the morning, we should start out our mornings acknowledging him, coming before him and thanking him, and dedicating the day to him, making a conscious decision. Hey, Lord God, today help me to, to be that living sacrifice, to offer myself as a living sacrifice to you today and seeking his guidance for the day. That's what we should be doing every morning. And then ending the day, acknowledging his hand in our day, thanking him for the blessings. So important to be thankful for what the Lord's done in our lives. Be thankful for what he has done and what he's, his mercies during that day. Lord, thank you for being merciful to me today. And then, if necessary, which in my case it always is, confessing sins. Lord, Lord, please forgive me for doing that bonehead thing or whatever, you know. But that's what we should be doing on a daily basis. Not only is it a time of just praying and talking to the Lord, but I also think it's a time of just sitting and listening, allowing the Lord to speak to us. Now, some people, some of you are not morning people. Some of you don't like routines, you know, and I can appreciate both of those, although I am a morning person. But you might say, you know what? I just pray throughout the day. Why do I need to set aside a specific time in the morning and a specific time in the evening? Because I'm, I'm constantly praying to the Lord. As I work through my day, I'm always in relationship with the Lord. And that's great. That's good. In fact, we should be. But for those of you that are married, let me ask you this question. If your communication with your wife or your husband Everything that you talked about was just in passing. Hey, honey, you know, you're walking out the door. I just want to say this to you, you know, and you're coming back. And it's good to communicate, right? It's, it's, it's important to communicate. 
But I can tell you from my own experience, if that was the only level of communication I had with my wife, she'd be pretty, not very happy. <laughs> there's times where she's like, no, you know what, you need to sit down and look me in the eyes. Let's, let's make some eye contact. Let's face-to-face -face speak to one another. Give me your full attention. Because I'm, uh, like I'm watching a TV and I watch movies, I'm like this usually, you know. And, and it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. She'll be talking, I'm like, uh-huh. I'll never look at her, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. How long would our relationship be healthy if we did that all the time? There are times where she's like, you have to get in front of the TV or shut it off or say, hey, no, 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 grab my face, look at me in the face, you know. That's so important, and, and you guys know that. You that are married, hopefully you know that. If you don't, that's news to you. That's what you guys need to be doing. <laughs> You should have casual communication throughout the day, but don't neglect the intentional communication with your spouse. And it's no different with our relationship with the Lord. We need to have that intentional purpose of sitting before the Lord, uh, focused only on Him. Put everything aside and just focus on the Lord. Allow Him to speak to us and just sit before Him. So I just want to close this up. But, you know, everything that you and I need for our consecration to serve the Lord as a royal priesthood, as a, cho a chosen generation. It's been provided for us in Christ Jesus. In his sacrifice for us on the cross, it's all, it's all been provided for us. So for you and I this morning, let's, let's determine to offer ourselves as like that burnt offering. Let's, let's determine to offer ourselves as a loving sacrifice to him on a daily basis. Let's apply the blood of the cross to everything that we do. Everything that we do, we do unto him and remembering what he's done and, and, and keep all that in perspective, the blood of the cross. And then let's determine this morning that we're going to start spending more time on a regular basis before him praying and not only praying, but listening to what he speaks to us. He speaks to us by his spirit and also through his word. And so just spending that time, that's how you strengthen your relationship. And so I see these pictures here that the priests had to do. And, and, and yeah, it was important for the priests, but it's, it's so much more important for you and I as, as believers in Jesus Christ that that's, this is what we need to do. You know, just on a side note and, and uh, uh, just thinking about all these, think about this, the, the, the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices that were, there was so much of it in the Old Testament. And since uh, 70 A.D., the Jews have not had an altar to do these sacrifices on. So 2,000 plus years, they haven't had a blood sacrifice. Now they do, you know, they do the, the feasts and the festivals. They have the Day of Atonement with Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. They, they, they observe all that, but you know, they've changed it, right? So now it's, they don't sacrifice because they can't, there's no place, they have to have an altar to sacrifice uh, an animal. So they just afflict their souls. And, and, and so, you know, the, the, probably the very, uh, uh, I want to say casual or whatever, the, 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 the non-Orthodox Jewish people, that's probably, that's fine for them, right? It's a day that I just don't eat or I, I, do, I just afflict my soul or whatever. But for the Orthodox Jew, and I think probably for all of them, deep down there's a sense that there's, <laughs> the, there's no blood being atoned. There's no, there's no blood sacrifice. And there's some people here in Israel today that are, they've, they've actually are ready. They're, if they had the approval to build a temple, 
on the Temple Mount, man. They, they've got they've got the ashes of the red heifer already to, to sac sprinkle on to sanctify the altar. They've they've got the altar built. Uh, they just built that I think in November. They've got already got the brazen altar that they built. They've actually got a guy who's uh, they've traced him back to the Levitical priesthood. He's a Cohen. And uh, he is, he's the high priest. So as soon as they start offering, he's ready to step in and start doing the sacrifice of the high priest. Uh, they've got all the utensils. Uh, it, it's amazing. They are basically at the point where they just, they just need to go ahead to build the temple because they feel that sense that they have to have that blood sacrifice. Now, for me as a Christian, that excites me. Not because they're, they're going to be sacrificing animals and all that. that ex what excites me is because I know the Bible says in the last days, that there's going to be a temple. And I'm like, well, if they're ready to build a temple, then we must be pretty close to the last days. Christ returned for his church. We've got to be close. That much closer, I should say. But here's the thing that's so sad. For all these years, they've been afflicting their souls, however, however they justify that. And then they, finally, they're going to have these blood sacrifices. And they think that that's going to take care of their sin. How sad and how tragic that'll be because... The sacrifice has already been paid. The blood of, of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, it's already been shed. They don't need to go through that anymore. But for you and I, what a blessing, right? We're, we're, we read this and we go, thank you, Lord, that you have completed all this for us. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you stand up and let's go, Lord, in prayer. And I'll have the worship team come on up.